1997, pro golfer Tiger Woods won the Masters by 12 strokes. And then he did the unthinkable. He overhauled his swing. Crazy, right? Guy just won the Masters by 12 strokes. He goes and overhauls his swing. Then, in 2002, after winning 7 out of 11 majors, he does the same thing again. Tiger Woods at the top of his game. He won the Masters. He's won most of the major tournaments. And then, he goes and tries to adjust what he's doing. Why would he fix what wasn't broken, right? What he was doing was successful. He was accomplishing great things. Well, he says in his own words, Well, I thought I could become better. I've always taken risk to try to become a better golfer, and that's one of the things that has gotten me this far. That was his mindset, was to always improve, to always be better. Each time, he went back to the basics and drilled the mechanics over and over and over again. Because he wanted them to become instinctful and he wanted to be the master of those things. He wanted to excel as a golfer. Tiger Woods was at the top of his game when he did all these things. You might think of a person who fails to make the cut in a tournament. Or someone who doesn't even get to go to the tournament. That they might go back and be like, all right, i got to figure out why I'm not playing well. But Tiger Woods is at the top of his game. He knew to continue to play at that high level, he had to grow in his golf, golfing skills. He had to improve. He couldn't become complacent and, and satisfied with where he was. In our passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 9 through 12 this morning, we will see that we too need to grow. We too need to improve. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 9. About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon anyone. The big idea for our, our passage this morning is that God wants you to grow in loving one another. God wants you to grow in loving one another. In saying this, I am not suggesting that we as a church are bad at loving one another. I'm not saying that, nor would Tiger Woods have said that he was a bad golfer. But just as Tiger Woods wanted to improve, so should we want to grow in loving one another. Paul, as I've said previously, has written to this church to encourage the faithful there to keep being faithful. This church at Thessalonica was loving one another. They were doing this, and he says as much in these verses. And we, too, as they do, have room to grow in this area of loving one another. So as we think about how do we grow in loving one another, let's look at our passage, and we're going to understand that 
God wants us to grow in loving one another. We're going to seek to answer three questions to help us to grow in loving one another. And the first question we have to ask is, who are we to love? Who are we to grow in loving? And we'll see that in verses 9 through the first part of verse 10. Maybe as we read this and I said that God wants us to grow in loving one another, you might have wondered, to whom am I to love? Who is the one another in these verses? In verse 9 he says, about brotherly love. And then at the end of verse 9 he says, love one another. And that's the same thing. But, but who, who's the recipient of this? Paul doesn't really give us any instruction on who that is. He merely begins speaking about brotherly love, loving one another. Now, brotherly love normally refers to family love. The love for father, for mother, for brothers, for sisters. This is the type of love that he is referring to, this brotherly love. So, we have to ask, are the recipients of this love in verse 9 family, immediate blood family? Maybe, but probably not necessarily who Paul has in mind. Uh, it's possible that, that family, fathers, mothers, brothers, sisters, fit into what he's talking about. But the people, the one another, is not a, a physical family, first and foremost. It has a deeper relationship. He's referring to those who are true believers in Jesus Christ. Those are the brothers and sisters in Christ that we are to love. We are to grow in loving our brothers and sisters in Jesus When we respond to the gospel with repentance and faith, we then are adopted into a new spiritual family. God is our father. And our brothers and sisters are those that you look around this room and you see. The other people in our lives who have come to saving faith in Christ, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a new family with a new father and new siblings. And how we enter this is through Jesus. Jesus brings people together who are of different places in life, different social classes and ethnic backgrounds, different likes and dislikes. God, through Jesus, brings many people together who have nothing else in common besides Jesus. And all these differences are united in Jesus. So when you have differences, is there opportunity for conflicts? All right, if you're not answering, you you know the answer, you just don't want to say it. Because everybody knows that when there are differences in a relationship, uh, of any kind of relationship, conflict is not far behind. That's just the way it is. And so we as a people, as a church, are come together and we are united in Jesus. It doesn't mean our differences go away, go away, but we are united in Jesus. Loving our fellow brothers and sisters in, in Jesus was not something new to this church in Thessalonica, nor is it new to us. I'm guessing this is not the first time you've heard that we should love one another. It's in Scripture many different places. Uh, If you look up, if you even just do a Google search of love one another, you will find a lot of scripture references 
to loving one another. So I'm guessing this is not the first time you've heard this. The Thessalonians, Paul says in verse 9, were already doing this. That he doesn't need to write to them about loving one another. Because they were already doing it. And he says they were already doing it because uh, they, they were already loving one another because they had been taught by God to do so. There in verse 9 it says, You don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. God taught them through the gospel and the Holy Spirit's working in their lives to love each other, to love one another. In the gospel, what saved them they found, in the gospel, they found love for another person that was incredibly selfless. They found selfless love in the gospel, and God used that to help them to understand that since God loved them in this way, they ought to love others in the same way. God also used the Holy Spirit to work in them through his word to help them to know that they should love one another, to motivate them to love each other. We have the same gospel, and we have the same Holy Spirit as well, the same that they did. And we, too, do not need someone to tell us, because as I said, you probably have heard from other places in Scripture that you should love one another. But the interesting fact is that Paul doesn't stop here. You would think, since he says, you don't need me to write you, that he would be done. He'd, he'd move on. He'd go on to the next topic. But he doesn't. Look at verse 10. He says, In fact, you are doing this to, toward all the brothers and sisters in, Mas- in the region of Macedonia, but we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more. He encourages them to keep loving each other more. Do it more. Grow. Make this a greater thing in your life. And he, he acknowledges in verse 10 their faithfulness in loving one another. He doesn't deny that they know in verse 9 that they should love each other. And in verse 10 he gives example that they're not only doing it to their own congregation, but their love for one another, their love for their brothers and sisters in Christ extends outside of their congregation. And he commends them. He encourages them for their faithfulness. He wants them to know that they are doing well. And the interesting thing is he doesn't stop. He continues on and encourages them to grow, to do it more, to keep loving one another. Uh, He says in verse 10 that their love for fellow believers did not end at their congregation, but extended to the entire region of Macedonia. And we don't know exactly how that took place. We don't know what they did. It's possible that it was a mere uh, giving of finances, that they took a, a gift, a financial gift, and sent it to other church groups. We don't know specifically. It may have been that they uh, allowed different believers from other places to stay with them in their home for a time. We don't know specifically how they did it. We just know that Paul says they loved one another, and that extended to the, region, the entire region of Macedonia. The point that Paul is trying to communicate is that they were, they were loving one another. This is not something new to them. This is something they were doing, and they were doing well at it. It wasn't something 
that he needed to come down on them hard because they were failing to obey God. They were obeying God. And he commends them for this. And he encourages them to it because they are faithful. How well do we love one another inside and outside of our church? How well do we love one another both inside and outside of our church? We love one another here at Grace by caring for physical needs, by praying for one another, and by faithfully giving regularly and on special occasions to missionaries who are seeking to plant churches around the world. I would answer that question similarly to how Paul answered that question for the church in Thessalonica. I think in so many ways we are doing well at loving one another. And so I say, well done, Grace. You're doing well at loving one another. But as with Paul, he says there at the end of verse 10, do this even more. Keep doing this. Don't be complacent with where you're at. Yes, you're loving one another and praise God for that. We are to grow in loving one another. We are to grow in loving our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Second, we see from verses, this last part of verse 10 and verse 11, how are we to grow in loving one another? We saw who we were, who we are to grow in loving. That was in verse 9, the first part of verse 10, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. But now in the rest of verse 10 and verse 11, we're going to ask, seek to answer the question, how are we to grow in loving one another? Because once you know you're supposed to grow in loving one another and you know who you're supposed to grow in loving one another, what's, the next lo- what's a next logical question? How? What is that to look like? How am I to accomplish that? And so we're going to see that in these verses. And we see it start at the end of verse 10 where he tells the Thessalonians to love one another even more. Do this even more. They are to grow in what they were already doing. Take what you're doing in verse 9, the first part of verse 10, and build on it. Grow. Develop that further. And we, too, are to grow in loving one another. And we need to realize that we never fully, truly attain loving one another as God does. Think about that. When it comes to loving one another, God is our greatest example. God is the one who gave his one and only son, Jesus, to die in the place for sinners. Died in the place of you. We are to realize that we never fully get to a point where we have made it. Where we love one another so well that we don't need to improve. Romans 5.8 says, But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Our love ought to match or seek to match the love that God has extended toward all people in sending Jesus to die for us, die for our sins. God's love for rebellious sinners is great. It's really incomprehensible. The longer you think about it, the more and more it's unfathomable to even comprehend how God could love us. 
But God's love for rebellious sinners is great. And we ought to love each other in a growing way to follow God's supreme example of loving one another. So, if we are to grow even more, as verse 10 says, do so even more. If we're to grow in our love for one another, how are we to accomplish this goal? Well, verse 11 is our answer to that question. Verse 11 gives us the the how. Verse 10 is what we are to do, and verse 11 is the how. He gives the Thessalonians, he gives us three actions or or three things we can do uh, to love our fellow believers. And now, I want to... As I thought about loving one another, and I read through these pat, this passage over and over again, I, very quickly I picked up, okay, I am to love my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not really a mystery in this passage. I don't think you could read these four verses and walk away and not know that you are to love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. What I understood was that we were to love one another. The problem was I tried to take what I knew from other places in Scripture about loving one another and connect them to this passage. Not necessarily a wrong thing to do, but Paul goes a different direction with loving one another. My thoughts went to loving actions that we do toward our fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus. And I wasn't wrong in my thinking about love because other places in the scripture tell us that, right? Tell us that we are to love not just in word, but in action and deeds. Uh, the problem I had was that here in our passage today was that Paul gives the Thessalonians the command to love one another and to grow in loving one another. But the actions he gives are not overtly others focused. If you look at verse 11, those are not overtly others-focused actions. Rather, they are personal activities in which we do to free up other believers to love and obey God. And this is really interesting how we are to love one another, how we are to grow in loving one another. The actions given in verse 11 are there to free up our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, our fellow church members, to love God above all else and to joyfully obey him. Let's look at these three ways. First, there in verse 11, it says uh, to seek to lead a quiet life. We love one another by seeking to lead a quiet life. Now, these, this verse is like, as Pastor Chad and I were talking about it this week, this verse, is the ultim, these, this verse here is the ultimate introvert verse. If you have any introvert tendencies, this is like, I got this. I'm all about this. This is to lead a quiet life. If you're an introvert, you don't really want to be around a lot of people. You kind of like being alone and being by yourself. But that's not really what Paul's getting at here. That's not the intent of what he's getting at, is that it's the ultimate introvert's encouragement. But really, what, what the point he's trying to get across is that we are to live in such a way in which we do not cause problems or are disruptive in the church because of our sin. The quiet life that we are to pursue is one that is free from causing problems and disruption in the church. Truly converted people pursue unity in Jesus by focusing on their own lives and regularly dealing with their own sin. 
When we love one another by seeking to live a quiet life, we're not causing, we're not looking to cause problems. We're not looking to raise a stink about something that doesn't need to be a problem. We're looking to Jesus and seeking to follow him and to obey him. We are not causing problems or disruptive so that our elders, our pastors, and our fellow church members have, have the need to step into our lives and, and help correct us, help guide us back to Scripture and to confess sin. Instead, we're living lives that are word-saturated, lives that are letting the word soak into us, that's God-exalting, that gives glory to God regularly and often, and is sin abhorring. We should live lives that are word saturated, God exalting, and sin abhorring to lead a quiet life. That's the quiet life that Paul points to in these in this verse. The second thing in that verse verse ten there says to, after that it says to mind your own business. How many of you ever told a, a child to mind their own business? I'm guessing most moms have, if not most parents have, to mind their own business. Sometimes kids have a real natural tendency to want to know everything about everyone all the time. Okay? And if you're a parent or work with children, you, you probably know that to be true. But here's the, the interesting thing. We as adults aren't much better we just hide it better. We're just better at keeping it away from other people that it's not so blatant that we're trying to figure out what's going on in other people's lives. But, but the, the encouragement that Paul gives this church, God gives this church and to us, is to mind our own business. And we love one another in that way. We love one another by minding our own business. And the idea here flows out of the first one, the first encouragement that he gave, to live a quiet life. To do so, we mind our own business. We should not seek to know what's going on in other people's lives unnecessarily. Okay? It should not be our business to know other people's business. That, that's, not, that's not important for us. Uh, do you, if you remember from uh, John chapter 21, Jesus is talking with Peter. And he tells Peter, he asks Peter three times the question, do you love me? Remember that, remember that passage? And Peter says yes, and he gets really emotional about it at the, after the last time. He's like, don't you know that I love you, Jesus? And, and Jesus gives Peter kind of a, a look to Peter's future. And what's Peter do? Do you remember what Peter does? What about that guy? And, and it, we, we're led to believe he's talking about John, the disciple. And, and Jesus says, what does it matter to you if I have him stay alive until I come again? Jesus is like, what's that matter to you? You feed my sheep. You do what you know I've asked you to do. That's a similar command here. Why worry about other people when you know what God wants you to do? Don't worry. And, and getting involved in other people's business unnecessarily it, it can lead to many other sins. Slander, gossip, and pride, to name a few. When we mind our own business, we love one another because we're focused not on them, but on God and seeking to please Him. 
not focused on what's going on in somebody else's life. Well, are they living for God? Do they love God as much as me? Are they doing this? Are they doing that? We're focused on God. When we're focused on others, we cause problems and are disruptive in the church. And we're not loving each other. Third, in verse 11, we see there at the end it says, And uh, to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, by Paul addressing this issue, it seems reasonable to conclude that there were some believers who were refusing to work. And this is Paul's gentle reminder that they need to do work. That they need to provide and work with their own hands. He, he addresses this because these individuals were causing problems within the church. Now, if you go ahead and look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, you will see that there is a person there who Paul says, if they will not work, they should not eat. So this is not just a problem that Paul has to address once, but when he writes to them a second time, he gets more serious with them about it, that there are some in their group who are refusing to eat. And there are lots of different reasons for why uh, people much smarter than me think that they weren't eating, or, or they weren't working, excuse me. Uh, but I, I don't think the reason why they weren't is as important as the fact that it was causing problems within the church. It was disrupting the church. This person was not working. They were idle. Idleness is a sin and is an open opportunity for us to give in to other sins. Working to provide for oneself and one's family is a relief to the church. And it might not be so obvious that that would be a relief to a church, but if there is one who is constantly needing financial assistance, that is going to, over time, become a burden on the church. And it takes the focus away from where the church's focus ought to be. Pastor Chad recently talked to us about the, that we here at Grace Baptist Church exist to make disciples who worship, grow, and serve. We are to make disciples here at Grace Baptist Church, and if we are disruptive to the mission of our church, we're not going to do that well as a church. We are to love one another by paying attention to our own lives. That's all what verse 11 is about. Love one another by pursuing God individually. We love one another in that way. So the question is, how are you doing at loving one another by being focused on God personally? Focused on living for God yourself. Don't think about the person next to you. Don't think about the person somewhere else in this building. But think about yourself. How are you doing at loving one another by focusing your life on God and living for Him personally? We grow in loving one another by focusing on God individually. That is a way we love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the third question we seek to answer is from verse 12. What's the result? If, if, I'm to, if God wants me to grow in loving one another, what's this all about? What's this all for? What is the result of growing in loving one another? So we've seen so far who we are to love, how we are to love them. And now in verse 12, we're going to see the result of growing and loving one another. 
the result is a faithful witness to a lost world and freeing up our spiritual family to make disciples. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, So that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. The result of growing in love for one another is that our lives individually and corporately will magnify the gospel. Our lives as individuals and as a, as a corporate group will magnify the gospel by loving one another. That's exactly what it says in verse 12. So that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. By the way we love one another, we give evidence that we are God's people. That we have been truly converted and it should lead the world to want what we have. Paul is communicating to these believers that how they live their personal lives will directly impact the gospel witness of each person in the church. Your activity outside these walls impacts every other member of Grace Baptist Church. I just want you to think about that for a minute. When you walk out these doors, you're impacting the reputation of this church in a greater way, the gospel, but in a greater way, you, you represent God, whether positively or negatively. If we claim to love God as all truly converted people should, if we claim to love God as 1 John 4.21 says, we must love one another because our love for one another impacts the gospel. It will either magnify God in the gospel or it will magnify self, magnify us as individuals. We should want to live lives that make much of Jesus. Why is that? Well, that should be an obvious answer to all of us who have understood the gospel and responded to it with repentance of faith. Jesus alone is the only way of salvation. Jesus saves And Jesus has saved us if we've responded to the gospel. And we should want to make much of him, make much of God. And so we have to ask, does my life attract unbelievers to Jesus? Are they drawn to Jesus because of the way that I love my church family? Or are our lives so similar to the world around us, to the lost around us, that they see no difference and are not drawn to our Savior, Jesus? Do we treasure what they treasure? Do they love, or do we love what they love? Do we value the things that they value? The thing that we should value above all else is our Savior, our Savior, Jesus. That should be our greatest treasure. And that's what Paul is helping this church to understand as well as us. He's helping this church to see the value in loving one another. The value is in how the unconverted world views the church. Look at what he says. He says, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders. This is not when they're in the building that we call the church. This is when they are with those who are lost, who don't know Jesus. What do people see? When they look at us, when we're not gathered in this building, what do people see? 
Do they see people who love their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, who are living out the gospel? Or do they see people who care more about themselves, their individual families? Do they care more about other things that they would care about? Paul simply wants to encourage them to keep loving each other. He gently encourages them to love one another so to make much of Jesus. We love one another. We grow in loving one another to magnify the gospel. The other result that Paul points to in verse 12 is not being dependent on anyone. Some have abused this phrase to use it for various personal and uh, political reasons. But I don't believe that's what Paul was referring to here necessarily. I, I believe his intention was so that church members would not be dependent upon church members. And the reason for that is so that we can free each other up to go and to make disciples, not just with our own time, but with our resources, financially and energy-wise. A church is to make disciples... This church had a problem. There were some who were so dependent upon the church, the, the, the other members, that they were not working. They weren't doing the basic things that they should be doing. And a church is to make disciples. If a church is regularly using their time, energy, and finances to help fellow members who don't want to provide for themselves, don't want to provide for their family, then that individual is hindering the ministry of making disciples, hindering that church to glorify God well. A member living in this way, as I said, is magnifying self, not God. The result of our growing and loving one another is that we will magnify Jesus. We do so by living well outside in the world around us. And we do so by not being dependent upon our fellow believers. That doesn't mean from time to time we need to help one another. That's not the point that Paul is getting across. The point he wants to make is that we should not be continually dependent upon our church family for our life, our, our food, our provisions of things. What is the result of your loving one another? What is the result of your loving one another as the world looks at you, as the lost looks at you, what is the result of your loving one another within our congregation? Our big idea this morning is that God wants you to grow in loving one another. We've seen that we are to, we are to grow in our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to love one another by seeking to live a quiet life, not disruptive, minding our own business, and working to provide for ourselves and our families. And we're to grow in loving one another. So to magnify God through our witness. And freeing up our brothers and sisters in Christ. To go and do the same. So as we look at this passage. There's really two people groups that Paul identifies. There at first is the one who is faithfully loving one another. The ones who are faithfully doing what they know God wants them to do. And the second is the one who is a hindrance and a distraction for their church. 
Which group do you fit into this morning? God wants us to grow in loving one another. What's the next step that you can take? Just as Tiger Woods wasn't satisfied with winning the Masters or winning 7 out of 11 major tournaments, what's the next step for you to keep growing in your loving of one another? Do you need to rejoice in God's grace this morning that because you have been faithful? Do you need to rejoice in God's grace because you've been faithful in loving one another? What is one action step that you can take today to continue to love one another if you've been doing that well? But maybe you're here this morning and that's not you. Maybe you haven't been loving one another well. Maybe you need to repent of causing distractions and hindrances for our local church. Do you need to confess your sin to God, your pastors, and your congregation, your church family? Maybe for you, you aren't able to love one another because you're not a part of God's family today. Maybe you are not part of God's family because you've never responded to the gospel with repentance and faith. God loved us, as I said in Romans 5.8. God proved his love for us by sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and he rose again. Your sins have been paid for at the cross by Jesus, and you can know the forgiveness of God in Jesus through repentance of your sins and trust alone in Jesus alone. If that's you, please talk with me later. Talk to someone sitting near you so that you can know that for sure. Maybe for some of us, we just simply need to decide, I, I want to grow in loving one another, so I'm just going to memorize these verses so that I have these verses in my mind, in my heart, so that when I'm interacting with my fellow believers and my fellow church members, I'll, I'll be thinking about how I can love them in this way. Maybe it's as simply as I want to love my brothers and sisters in Christ, so I'm going to spend time praying for them each day. A great way to do that is to grab our church directory and just to pray through a page each day to pray specifically for your fellow church members. Maybe it's you deciding, I, I need to, I, I'm, I'm doing well at reading my Bible and, and praying and studying. Uh, I, I want to keep growing. I want to be deeper. I want to have a deeper relationship with God. Maybe it's committing by God's grace to spend a little bit more time each day with God and his word, to think about it more and, and to, to grow in that way. I don't know what the next step for you is, but I encourage you to continue to be faithful in loving one another. We ought to desire to grow in loving one another as Paul encourages the church at Thessalonica. God wants you to grow in loving one another. Father God, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you that in Jesus we have the ability to be your children to be your sons, your daughters. Father, that's an incredible thing that we can't make happen on our own. And Father, I pray that if there is a, a man or a woman or a child here today who has never repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus as their Savior, that they don't know that you are their loving Father because of Jesus, that they would seek someone out today and know that for sure. Father, I pray that you'd be with us. Many of us, if not all of us in here, are seeking to love one another. and We do that well in so many ways. And Father, I pray that you would help us to grow in our love for one another. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.